It is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. This hour, we get ready for the Rogers Short Film Festival. Films from around the country and beyond will be screened at the Victory Theater beginning tomorrow. Arkansas revenue last month showed strong growth in the hospitality sector. The Department of Finance and Administration released its revenue report yesterday for February. In a further sign of the economic rebound from the pandemic, hotels and restaurants reported increasing revenue. The report said the state's net available revenue totaled over $400 million, which was 23 percent above forecast. Department economist John Shelnut says that helped grow a budget surplus. We have on published uh, $264 million in the official forecast, but now we're looking at $317 million above that forecast in this monthly tracking, which would imply a much larger surplus at year-end on June 30th. Governor Asa Hutchinson had noted strong tax collections when he proposed his $6 billion budget for the coming fiscal year in January. Talk Business and Politics reports the state's 2% tourism tax in 2021 increased by 51% from 2020 to 2021. 2020 was a year when tourism was hard hit by pandemic-related issues, but the 2021 report is an increase over pre-pandemic 2019 as well, improving by more than 16% when compared to that year. And chalk up wins for the Arkansas Razorback men's basketball and baseball teams. Basketball team outlasted LSU 77-76 last night in Bud Walton Arena. The baseball team outslugged Omaha 15-3 yesterday at Bomb Stadium. This is Ozarks at Large. A major project announced yesterday is designed to connect farmers, northwest Arkansas institutions, and area residents. The Market Center for the Ozarks will be built in downtown Springdale and feature 45,000 square feet of space for farmers to aggregate and distribute food to area schools, hospitals, and restaurants. Ground will be broken in June for the nearly $31 million structure supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Yesterday, we reached out to Karen Endy, a senior advisor to the foundation's Food Systems Initiative, to find out more. She says besides the aggregation and distribution of local farmers' food, there will be opportunities for food production and innovation. We know that there are lots of people that are making foods in their home kitchens, and we want to give them a place to produce in a commercial space with some larger scale equipment and allow them to bring their business out of the home and to grow and scale them. I think the goal here is building family wealth and building community wealth and for the whole region, but particularly with Springdale in mind. And then overall, we hope that this is a place for community where community can gather and learn. Yeah, I want to ask you about that community gathering, community learning. How how will that look? I mean, will, will members of the community be at, able to interact with the farmers, the people working at the hub? So I think that that part of it is event driven and that's an opportunity perhaps to gather with farmers. I think um, users of the building, so anybody will be able to sign up to rent production space to cook whatever they wanna cook in the building. Um, And then there's education opportunities and those will, there'll be a calendar and people will be able to schedule the things that they want to attend and learn. There's also a large outdoor space, and I really love that it connects to the bike trail. The trail wraps around uh, the building, and so we've created a connectivity to that bike trail so people who are walking and biking can stop, and we hope to activate that outdoor space for the community in a variety of different ways. So, yeah, it's near the Greenway, but it's also pretty close to the, will be pretty close to the Jones Center. Yeah, so we're not directly on East Emma across from the Jones Center. We're one block behind that. And so you can take that uh, walking trail directly out across the street right there to the Jones Center. And it'll be interesting to see how they develop their campus and how we can forge connectivities between their campus redevelopment and our site. This is such a big project. You're thinking outside architecture, things like that, the outdoor space, and then inside, certified kitchens. I, I can't imagine all of the different machinery, utensils, and I don't know, whatever else you need. (laughs) 
I have a big list. I'm going through it to verify every piece of equipment that's going to be in this facility. And I have to say, we have a lot of supports and, and a really wonderful team that we're working with everything from architects to kitchen designers to equipment consultants. Um, we've had some fun, fun visits around the country to look at some unique pieces of equipment that we can put in the facility. This is obviously one of the one of the ideas here is to help food entrepreneurship, the, the local farmers. Can this factor in to helping with food insecurity issues in Northwest Arkansas? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that because that's an issue that's near and dear to my heart. Um, food security and also um, the connection between food and health. And so I think the idea of getting more fresh produce out into the community in a variety of ways is really central to what we hope this project can do. Early on, I had talks with the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank and, and talked to them about some of their challenge. And they said, well, you know, a couple months ago we got in, I forget how many pallets worth of bananas. And there's only so many bananas you can drop off at food pantries and then the bananas go bad. So what are those kinds of things that get, I wanna say dumped on the food bank that are fresh and highly perishable? And how can we then bring them over to this facility and process them and make them into foods that can also be donated to the community? Um, the Walton Family Foundation currently funds the Northwest Arkansas Food Conservancy, and I believe you posted them on the show before. So they, they do food aggregation distribution. They've had partnerships with the food bank and seed that seeds that feeds and other food pantries in the region to make sure none of their food goes to waste. So I think, yeah, there's an opportunity to make sure that anything that comes in this building gets utilized. And that can be going back out as fresh or minimally processed. Schools, hospitals, um, pantries, other entities that would be interested in local food. Is there an arm, an outreach to, to reach as many of them, to let them know that here is uh, going to be another avenue for them to you know, have local food sources? It, I think there are a whole lot of different partners that um, we have until 2024 when this construction will be complete to forge partnerships with. I think about lots of different resources that we already have in the region. For example, um, the University Extent Cooperative Extension does healthy cooking and nutrition education. And this would be a place for them to do that in Springdale where we have some of the highest rates of diet related disease. Um, we have Cooking Matters to share our strength cooking program, and we have several different providers that activate that program in the region. Here's a, a location where they can host those classes. We have wonderful supports for entrepreneurship. We have Startup Junkie. We have ASBTDC and other small business organizations. And here's a place where they can come and provide technical assistance to food entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs in the region. So it's really, you know, being open-minded about the resources that already exist that can come together in this space and then looking at what this space does to plug holes in our local food system where we didn't have a space for aggregation. We didn't have a space for post-harvest processing, or I should say we did. If you go back to the history of Springdale, where really that was the center of the world and um, we lost it all. So looking back and looking forward at the same time. And one question about the entrepreneurship, is this a place where there could be innovation? I mean, are there certain I don't know, food ideas or spices or things that maybe haven't been created in Northwest Arkansas before that might come out of this? That's an interesting question. You know, I look at some of the value-added products that our farmers are already making, um, thinking in particular about Fat Top Farm, and they're a mushroom purveyor, and they're doing some really interesting products. They do a, a, multi, a mushroom jerky in several different flavors. And that's something they um, developed with the help of the Arkansas Food Innovation Center at the university. Um, different product goes to that vegan market, or I think it's just delicious. So it doesn't you know, really matter if it's vegan or not to me. Um, so what, what are those kinds of things that having a space and access to a variety of different equipment could allow people to produce? And then I also think melding with all of the food system work that we're already doing and the supports that the organizations we fund are providing to farmers, what are those ingredients? You lived in Northwest Arkansas. 
what are those things you wish you could get that could be grown here, but people haven't perceived that there is a market for? So working with the Center for Arkansas Farms and Food, Jonathan MacArthur, their farm manager, he's working with Row 7 Seeds to um, grow some really special mini butternut squash that are incredibly flavorful. And he's willing to try new things and do other things. And those can be brought to market through the Food Conservancy. Or if it's something that needs to be processed, now we have a facility to do that. So it's really about building that whole food system and innovation is just one piece that slots into that. Karen Endy is a senior advisor to the Walton Family Foundation's Food Systems Initiative. She talked with us yesterday by Zoom about the Market Center for the Ozarks, which was announced yesterday. Construction expected to be completed in early 2024. A Marshallese Nuclear Victims Remembrance Day will take place Saturday from 5 to 9 p.m. in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. The event will commemorate the 10-year-long history and devastating impact of nuclear weapon tests conducted by the U.S. military on the Marshall Islands during the Cold War. Organizer Sosi Madison says such events are held annually in northwest Arkansas, where as many as 15,000 Marshall Islanders have resettled. And the reason why we do this every year is we're trying to educate the public of what really happened to us Marshallese. And because of what was done on my ancestors' land has caused um, incredible damage all over the Marshall Islands now. Madison is referring to the U.S. nuclear bomb test rendering certain portions of the Marshall Islands uninhabitable, contaminating the land, water, and the people through generations. Washington University sociocultural anthropologist Dr. Holly Barker, who's documented the Marshallese nuclear legacy in history, is scheduled to be the keynote speaker, along with several nuclear weapons test survivors and the mayor of three irradiated atolls. A reenactment of the nuclear diaspora will also be staged, along with Marshallese dance performances. There's two groups of women dancing, island dances, and there's going to be singing. Also, and also the most important part of the event is the candlelight vigil and the moment of silence in honoring the nuclear victims. The Marshallese Nuclear Victims Remembrance Day event is free. It's open to the public. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Superstore furniture retailer Mathis Brothers has plans to develop about 53 acres along Interstate 49 in Rogers, into a major furniture hub. In the new issue of the Business Journal out this week, we report details of the company's plans. Mathis Brothers recently paid $9.5 million for land east of the interstate near the Rogers and Lowell border. A company spokesman tells the Business Journal that the property will be developed to include 250,000 square feet of retail space and 250,000 square feet of warehouse space. He valued the project at approximately $50 million and said it would create about 300 jobs. The site is expected to house multiple Mathis Brothers retail concepts, and the construction project is scheduled to be completed by the first quarter of 2024. Those details are included in the Real Deals section of the latest Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. You can read the magazine online at nwabusinessjournal.com. Entrepreneur Brendan Howell is behind a new real estate startup in northwest Arkansas that combines co-working space with micro-warehousing. It's called Lowloft, and we'll discuss the details next on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. 
With a million dollars in capital funding, Lowloft is a new concept in flexible micro-warehousing space in northwest Arkansas. Now, you might see the texting phrase LOL at first glance at that business name, but it's actually an acronym for Local Logistics Flexible Terms. Brendan Howell is a native New Zealander and one of the co-founders. In a recent interview, he said the easiest way to describe Lowloft is to think we work combined with warehousing to create a new concept called industrial co-working. The easiest way to describe it is thinking about office co-working combined with warehousing. So um, there's, there's a big brand in the U.S. called WeWork. So we often say, just think WeWork combined with warehousing. Hmm. Um, so okay. it has all the amenities that office co-working has in the, in the front. Um, but we've applied the concept to micro-warehousing. So um, what we have at the back is small suites ranging from 150 square feet to 5,000 square feet. Um, and we allow companies to rent those on a, on a monthly basis. So really kind of taking away a lot of the barriers to um, entry for, for real estate for smaller companies or companies that you know, may be scaling up, but they're not sure how much space they ultimately need. Give me your story about what brought you to Northwest Arkansas and, and, and what you encountered when you got here. So we initially came for a, um, to build a face mask assembly facility. So during the pandemic, um, you know, I was importing face masks just to sort of help out the efforts here. And then I thought, why don't we start making these things in the U.S.? So you know, I invested in the equipment, and I've had it all shipped to Northwest Arkansas. And um, then had a meeting with Walmart. So um, we had a Walmart contract lined up, but um, it never ended up happening. Um, so we ended up building a 2,000-square-foot micro-assembly plant inside the shrubbering building. Hmm. And that was really the genesis of the whole idea. So other people started approaching us, asking if they could also take space. So, yeah, it was kind of like a solution to a problem that we had, um, almost an accidental solution. And, you know, it's turned into a business. And so I think you, you've set this up, and I think it's a former Kmart building there on Walnut Street in... Roger, so you mentioned the, the square footage, various sizes you have. What, what's the total square footage that you have that's available to, to I guess, make available in a kind of a subleasing type capacity to customers? Yeah, so we've got you know, around 45,000 square feet there. Okay. Um, there's around 4,500 feet of office space and sort of you know, shared, shared amenities like hot desks and meeting rooms and hmm. all those kind of things that you need for an office. Yeah. So what's um, been the response then, to this, you know, this, call it industrial co-working here in Northwest Arkansas? I know it's early, but can you, what can you point to that supports the idea that this was definitely needed? Um, well, our pre-sales are running around 50% um, okay. at the moment. So, you know, which is unusual for, for any sort of warehousing. Um, so, I mean, the market's kind of speaking to us already. You know, we're getting every couple of days, we're getting someone signing you a new contract with us to come yeah. in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been super positive, super positive. So we're already looking for other locations. That's actually one in Miami at the moment. Um, we've just secured a location here, so this will probably be our next, um, our next, like, our next low loft. Yeah, that kind of leads me into you know a question about exactly what your growth strategy is. I mean, this doesn't stop at, at Rogers, right? No, no, no. It's um, it, that was really the pilot um, sort of location for us. Um, yeah, to validate the model. So, and our model's a little different to normal real estate deals. So we actually partner with the property owner mm -hmm. um, and do a revenue share. So, um, in this case, um, you know, we go in, we design the whole location, manage all construction, and you know, run the operation, and then. The owner gets a share in the revenue that comes through, which is more attractive than if they actually leased it. So, you know, they can get sort of 25-ish percent um, increase on a normal sort of uh, monthly, you know, like a five-year lease. You mentioned the property owner in this case. I believe Brian Hunt is the is the building owner, and and he's part of some pretty important backing that you have. You, you've raised a million dollars in funding to start this location, so. Um, is that all local, that, that capital raise? Are there other investors who are behind you? What, what's kind of the breakdown of that initial funding? Yeah, there's, um, there's some local money. 
Um, and there's actually um, part of that, so there's going to be another announcement um, in a week or so, hmm. uh, a very exciting one around this race. Um, uh, we also received money from Revolution um, VC out of Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's the uh, Rise of the Rest Fund, yeah. Yes, yeah, the Rise of the Rest, yes. So, um, so they came in, we've got um, a law firm from um, Silicon Valley came in, um, yeah, and then some um, local angels, so okay. a couple of the archangels from Arkansas came in too. All right, that is Brendan Howe, as he mentioned, speaking with me from Miami earlier this week about Loloft, which has received support from Startup Junkie, the University of Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas Council, and the Rogers Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce. The industrial co-working space is at 2117 West Walnut Street in Rogers, and you can learn more at lowloft.com. That's L-O-L-O-F-T dot com. As I mentioned earlier, the new issue of the Business Journal is out this week with a cover story about this year's Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue event. It is one of the top tourism draws in the region each year and is making a comeback in 2022 after a two-year break due to the pandemic. But in January, organizers announced this. The motorcycle rally will relocate this year from Fayetteville, its central location the past two decades, to Rogers, Despite the switch, city and tourism officials expect it to be business as usual when the motorcycles roll back into northwest Arkansas the first week of October. We've also got details about a new cannabis logistics platform developed among northwest Arkansas companies, our annual list of the region's largest hotels, and a profile of Tina Wynnum in our Then and Now feature. Then and Now is a regular item in each issue of the magazine with updates from past 40 under 40 honorees. You can find that and much more in the latest Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. You can read the digital version for free at nwabusinessjournal.com. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. Beginning tomorrow, we can take in dozens of short films at Arkansas Public Theater in downtown Rogers. The Rogers Short Film Festival will extend through Sunday evening's award ceremonies, and it will involve filmmakers and film fans interacting at businesses within walking distance of the Victory Theater. Yesterday, we asked for a preview of the festival from Elizabeth McCurdy, festival co-director. She says the first take of the festival was last year as a sort of experiment with just four weeks of prep. For 2022, there is a diverse field of films and filmmakers. We have a 10-year-old. We have some sixth-grade classes. Um, It's really sweet and really cool to see what these kids have come up with. Um, The creativity is really neat to be able to witness. Um, And and how how did what was the call for films? How did they come in? How were they selected? Yeah, so we're set up through Film Freeway. Film Freeway is pretty much the hub when it comes to film festivals. Uh, Filmmakers can essentially make a profile on there and uh, submit their film to one of our four categories, our categories being K-12, post-secondary, amateur, and professional. Um, And the selection process, we kind of have a board system with Studio Chunky to decide um, which films we're going to select for the actual festival uh, for competition. Um, And that was a really fun process, um, just kind of being able to see that and establish what it is exactly that, you know, we're looking for, what we value, what we want to be uh, highlighting. The lengths of the films are, and it's a short film festival, so none of them are the standard motion picture lengths. I think there's at least one that's if I remember the running time correctly, was under a minute. Yeah, I think that the shortest one that we have is about 45 seconds. Um, It's a small animation piece, if I'm correct. Don't quote me on that. Um, But the longest one we have is actually 45 minutes. Um, The typical range, though, is probably somewhere between 8 and 18 minutes, I would say, is the average length. Um, but they range from, you know, like I said, 45 seconds to 30 minutes to 45. Um, so, and that's how we've broken it down. Um, in the film festival, uh, there's 18 brackets that are, that we're going to have. And each bracket is approximately 25 to 30 minutes long each. So that could mean that it has four films within that bracket. It could mean that it has one. Uh, it really just depends on the bracket and what's in there. 
What's great about a short film festival, of course, is if you're watching something that isn't quite your style or doesn't catch your interest, don't worry. In 15 minutes or so or less, something else will be on the screen. Exactly. And, you know, that's kind of how we've broken it down on our schedule, um, our festival pamphlet. Uh, we've listed, you know, the descriptions of each of the films, if they're an animation, a documentary, a narrative film, um, if it's an Arkansas film, if it's out of the state or out of the country. Um, so that will give some the viewers kind of a chance to filter through and decide what they want to go see. All right. Help us with the schedule because it starts Friday and it moves through the award ceremonies on Sunday evening. Correct. Um, so doors will open at, I believe, 3 p.m. on Friday uh, with the first screening starting at 3.30 p.m. Uh, that day, we're just doing the K-12 screenings. Um, so that program will, programming will really only go for about an hour because those K-12 uh, films are pretty short. I think that there are about seven, uh, but all together, that comes out to about a total hour of programming. Um, so that night, we're just going to do a short uh, meet and greet in the Arkansas Public Theater lobby and bar. Uh, Barry and I will be there along with my staff to kind of welcome any filmmakers that are there that night. Um, and then we're going to go to bed early because we had a big day uh, the next couple days. Uh, Saturday starts off um, at the Filmmakers Lounge. We have Hello Honey Coffee Bar coming to do uh, complimentary cappuccinos and craft coffee for filmmakers and all access pass holders. Um, and then following that, we're going to start the first films at around 1215, I believe, or that's when the opening ceremony will be. I'm sorry. Um, and then just screenings that whole day. So all day Saturday will be post-secondary screenings and amateur screenings. And then that night, we're celebrating our kind of opening uh, party at Kenya Christian's Art Gallery interview. She's going to be curating that event. Um, so really excited for that. And then we're back at it on Sunday, uh, starting out at around uh, 10.30 a.m., I believe, at Onyx Coffee Lab for a filmmaker's networking breakfast. Uh, and then we hit this, the screenings again, starting at around noon, and then going all day with those professional category screenings, awards ceremony at 5.15 p.m., and then followed immediately by the awards after party um, at the 128 Tapas Bar, host, uh, sponsored by Rock Hill Studios. We have that whole event, um, that's a whole space reserved for the event. We'll have free food, drinks, a DJ, and I think it's going to be a fun party. These youngest filmmakers, those who are from K through 12, do you know, I, I, I'm imagining they mostly use phones to create their films? It's been a variety of things. Um, we actually only have uh, one filmmaker out of the K through 12 category that is from Arkansas. And it's been really cool to see all these entries come in from all over the country. We have a couple from Virginia, a couple from California, um, and a couple of them are claymation that have been done on a phone or an iPad. Um, a couple of them uh, were done like with their classroom materials or whatever they had on hand at their school. Um, it's just really cool um, to see what these kids have come up with and to be able to highlight that creativity. It, it's amazing. I, if I'm being honest, I wasn't expecting this to turn into the big thing that it is appearing to become. Um, we've already sold more tickets than we did last year alone, and we're not even there yet. Um, tickets have been only for sale for about a week, and our numbers are skyrocketing. Um, we have filmmakers flying in to attend this from all over the country, and a lot of them are driving in from other part of our, parts of Arkansas, staying for the weekend. Um, a few of our judges, we are flying out from LA and Nashville. Um, it's just becoming this amazing thing where you know, we're attracting uh, people that are also in the arts from other areas of the country. Um, and then outside of the country, we have a couple submissions um, that we'll, we'll be screening from Canada. Um, so it's just really cool how people are coming together to this thing. And I'm just so excited to see how it grows over the next few years. I mean, this is only year two, and this is really only year one when we've been, you know, pulling all the stops. Well, it's also, I mean, last time we were like in the throes of the pandemic, not that we're out of it yet, but I mean, so last year probably really did have that experimental feel for y'all who were putting it together. Exactly. Uh, we uh, we had this feeling that Arkansas Public Theater was just you know, made to ha host a film festival. And so that's really why we wanted to experiment with it. And we were, it worked out amazing. Uh, it's now become the hub for the festival uh, so that every other event, anything else that we'll be hosting over the weekend is within walking distance of the theater. Um, so it's very local. Um, it's very downtown. 
all of our sponsors and the people involved and our events are all, you know, Rogers, Arkansas locals. Um, so it's been really great to be able to work with these businesses as well. Elizabeth McCurdy is co-director of the Rogers Short Film Festival. First films are shown tomorrow afternoon at the Victory Theater in downtown Rogers. For information about the films, the schedule, and the different varieties of tickets and passes, ArkansasPublicTheater.org. Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 8, and noon to 6 on Sunday on the Square in Bentonville. WalmartMuseum.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. I am with Timothy Dennis. It's time to talk live music, Timothy. It's warm this weekend. Warmer. It is. It's not quite full strength patio season just yet, but we're getting so close. We are. And of course, if you ever put in a garden in northwest Arkansas, you're told wait till April 15th or so because, yeah, it's warmer, but there's significant chances of freeze yet to come. Moving on to music. Tonight in Fayetteville, Georgia's Majestic Lounge is going to have an indie rock show featuring Squirrel Flower and Tensi, T-E-N-C-I. that show is $14. That gets underway at 8.30 tonight. Again, that's at George's in downtown Fayetteville. And moving down to the River Valley, Majestic in Fort Smith is going to have the Texas-inspired country band Josh Abbott Band on stage. She's as bright as the Dallas sky. She always holds her head up high. She loves the company of her family. She has faith in God Tickets for that show start at $25. Gets underway at 8 o'clock tonight at Majestic in Fort Smith. Jumping ahead to tomorrow night, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have another more modern country show featuring Hayfield, Handshake Saints, and the Matt Williams Band. Cover for that show is $10. That gets underway at 9.30 tomorrow night at George's in Fayetteville. Going up to Springdale, Black Apple Crossing is going to have local folk artist Ashton Barbary on their stage. All right. I'll let you back in over and over. How much forgiveness do you need? I haven't buried nothing. I remember everything. Mostly that being at Black Apple Crossing, it is a free show. Gets underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at Black Apple on Emma Avenue in Springdale. Happening up in Bentonville tomorrow night, the Momentary is going to have a show featuring Grouper. Right. They are an ambient and dream pop kind of band. I know a lot of people are excited about this show. Tickets for that show are $18, $25 for general admission. That gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night at the Momentary in Bentonville. Also happening tomorrow night over in Eureka Springs, Chelsea's is going to have the Central Arkansas-based rock band De France on their stage. Okay. That show gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, again at Chelsea's in Eureka Springs. Okay, moving ahead to Saturday night. Another big show from JJ's Live. This week they're featuring Jimmy Eat World and Dashboard Confessional. Tickets for that show start at $45. That gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. I've actually seen Dashboard Confessional. Not necessarily what you would think of me going to see. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't picture you at a Dashboard Confessional show. I saw them at Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa, and I will tell you that they put on a heck of a show. Did you also see Lincoln Park? 
I did not. Okay. No. Okay. No. Moving on. Nomad's Trailside in Fayetteville is going to have a hard rock show featuring Red Witch Johnny, Mudlung, and Tao of Lucy. Cover for that show is $5. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night at Nomad's Trailside in Midtown Fayetteville. Happening in downtown Fayetteville Saturday night, Walton Arts Center is going to have the next concert in the Starlight Jazz Series featuring the Clark Gibson Quintet. Yeah, uh, Robert Ginsburg playing some of that uh, tonight on Shades of Jazz. Tomorrow night on Shades of Jazz. That's right, tomorrow night. Shades of Jazz. <laughs> in my defense, Shades of Jazz, like in the 70s and early 80s, was on Thursday night. Okay, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll give you that one, Kyle. Uh, if you don't know who Clark Gibson Quintet is, it's a jazz combo featuring alto sax, trombone, trumpet, and the organ stylings of the one and only Pat Bianchi. Yeah. Uh, tickets for that show start at $33. That gets underway at 7.30 Saturday night at Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville. Also happening Saturday night, up at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville, they're having a showcase of Austin-based artists. It's put on as a partnership between House of Songs and Black Fret, which is a music nonprofit that started in Austin, but has opened several chapters in music cities across the country. They are featuring Austin artist Graham Wilkinson, Sydney Wright and Kalu James. That is a free show, a lot of music for no money beginning at 8 o'clock Saturday night at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville. And that combi- that collaboration goes on through the spring. Yeah, it's, the, shows. it's actually the first of six shows they have scheduled as of now, and they're scheduled for Bentonville, Rail Yard Live in Rogers, Kingfish, yeah. and George's here in Fayetteville, and other venues throughout the area. Also Saturday night over in Eureka Springs, Got a Hole Brewing is going to have Pat Ryan Key on stage, mm-hmm. good friend of Ozarks at yeah. large. That show gets underway at 5 o'clock Saturday evening at Got a Hole Brewing in Eureka Springs. Sunday, Smoke and Barrel Tavern is going to have a show in Fayetteville. They're going to feature Holy Locust, which is a New Orleans-based apocalyptic jazz band. Jude Brothers, who's local freak folk, and then Nick Hans, who plays dark country, and he's from Santa Fe. Wow. That's quite a quite a variety of a bill there. And that's Sunday night? That's Sunday night at Smoke and Barrel. Cover is $10. That gets underway at 8 o'clock again at Smoke and Barrel Tavern in Fayetteville. It gets underway at 8 o'clock yeah. on a Sunday night. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would love to go to that show, but we will see. My <laughs> older bones don't know if it can handle that. <laughs> Jumping ahead to Tuesday, the Fayetteville Roots Festival is going to have the band Dead Horses at the Roots HQ. They're a Milwaukee-based, folk-inspired duo with guitar, bass, a little bit of other right. things. Lights just seem to be so bright. Well, honey, babe, maybe you're out. I forgot to sound Uh, tickets for that show start at $20. That gets underway at 7 o'clock Tuesday night at the Roots HQ on the Fayetteville Square. And then finally, Wednesday night, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have the Virginia-based country band 49 Winchester. Tickets for that show are $15. That starts at 8.30 Wednesday at George's in Fayetteville. And one show I want to let you know about Thursday night, next Thursday night, a just because it's a big show and it might sell out. Temple Live in Fort Smith is going to have Tab Benoit on stage. Oh, how grateful I would be These arms of mine They are 
great blues guitarist. He's going to be joined by Alistair Green and Rachel Ammons. Should be a really good show. Tickets for that show start at $30. That starts at 8 p.m. next Thursday night at Temple Live in Fort Smith. Did you just give us something to go do every night for the next eight nights? Except Monday, but there are a few things you can find at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. If you go to the Smoke and Barrel thing Sunday night, Maybe you don't want to go to anything on Monday night. (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. Timothy Dennis, thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle. That's Poncho Sanchez in the background. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday. We'll hear more from Poncho Sanchez as well as Wynton Marsalis, Christian McBride, Wallace Roney, Warren Wolf, and the San Francisco Jazz Collective. All of that and more this weekend on Shades of Jazz, right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg tomorrow night at 10 on KUAF, and then Saturday from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. Hear KUAF 3 on your HD radio by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF 3 by using the free digital streams on the KUAF app or the KUAF 3 button at KUAF.com. Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with the beginning of Antonio Vivaldi's Spring Concerto from the Four Seasons, one of the most known and played pieces from the classical music tradition. Vivaldi wrote Spring or La Primavera with birds, storms, rustling winds, and bagpipes in mind. And when we listen to this piece, we are invited to transport ourselves to new beginnings, fresh blooms, nature, and its reborn. Ukrainian composer Victoria Poliva brings to us the promise of spring with her piece Warm Wind. Warm Wind starts with a musical quotation of Vivaldi's Spring Concerto that quickly gets deconstructed and transformed into other soundscapes, still warm, ever-changing, and overall hopeful. Keep Vivaldi in mind and let us listen to the beginning of Victoria Poliva's Warm Wind, interpreted by Gidon Kremer and the Kremerata Baltica in a live performance that took place in Germany at the Dresdner Musikverspiele.
That was an excerpt from the beginning of Warm Wind by Ukrainian composer Victoria Poleva, performed by Gidon Kremer and the Kremerata Baltica. In March, we celebrate women's history. And I have chosen today Ukrainian composer Victoria Polova's piece to bring attention to her music and career and to her country experiencing the hardships of war. Like the warm weather we are enjoying these days after the snow and ice disruptions, let us let the promise of a spring bring warm thoughts, winds of change, peace to Ukraine. We close on Penimeter today with Daka Braka, a world music quartet from Kyiv, making music that features homeland sounds, rock and punk, beautiful vocal harmonies, drums, reed instruments, and more. The name Daka Braka means give and take in the Ukrainian language. We will listen to an excerpt from the song Trok from an NPR Tiny Desk concert from 2015. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. Let there be music and peace on earth. See you soon. This past Tuesday was Fat Tuesday, and while the city of Fayetteville once again postponed its annual parade out of caution for COVID-19, a group of skaters, rollerbladers, and bikers rolled their way up Dixon Street to commemorate the holiday. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth brings us this postcard. So my name is Clementine Simpson. I'm the leader and founder of Arkansas Roller Skate Crew. I organize events and meetups um, where we teach people how to skate and we just try and inspire as many people to roller skate. And yeah, we have little themed meetups in this once a month and this is ours for this month. And then we have a few little subgroups. We got a co-ed roller yeah. derby. Co-ed, we're the Arkansas co-ed roller derby. I'm Carmen, Karma Electric. That's what they call me as a roller derby name. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we're out here just trying to let people know that we're out here in Starlight Stadium. That's where we skate at. I always participate in parades with like Arkansas Roller Skate Crew, and um, we're an outdoor skate group. And so I was just trying to find a theme for this meetup for March, and I had already planned. I was like, oh, Mardi Gras. They always do a Mardi Gras parade. And I thought since they did the Pride Parade last year that they would be doing it during this time. And then they canceled because of Omicron. Um, so I was trying to find a way. Like we already all spend our time together, and so we're just 
trying to still spread the Mardi Gras cheer. I have a French background, so I can't skip out on Mardi Gras. So that's my reasoning. Inspire other roller skaters. And then oh, yeah, inspire more like, people. We just want to inspire as many people as possible to roller skate. Madison, Prince, Cameron Cooper. <laughs> We're just uh, trying to be supportive of Clem. She's the best. We follow her religiously in her Arkansas roller skate crew. Just trying to be a part of the community and get out here for Mardi Gras. Such a beautiful day. Well, we're enjoying the weather. Arkansas yeah. came through for us today for one, so we're yeah, very happy about that. And we had a pretty good turnout. We've got different kinds of wheels. We've got bikes, scooters, skates, roller skates. Yeah, I don't know if we have any inlines, but... I was going to bring them, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Having a good time, spreading some joy. Yep. Seems like everybody that's getting beads is happy and enjoying. Tomorrow on Ozarks, we ask a Russian member of the University of Arkansas faculty what it's like to watch the invasion of Ukraine from here, and we look to the stars with the Sugar Creek Astronomical Society. Ozarks at Large, tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF, and at your disposal with the daily Ozarks at Large podcast. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Long Ridge, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Timothy Dennis produced today's show and today's sound perimeter. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich, who gave us information about the nuclear remembrance taking place Saturday, Leah Uribe, and Daniel Carruth, who produced the roller skating postcard inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Congratulations to Leah for Sound Perimeter's nomination for a Black Apple Award for Best Radio, TV, or Podcast Program. Oh, and by the way, the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report with Paul Gatling, produced by Stephanie Brock. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Kyle Kellums. We will come back and be with you tomorrow at noon and 7. Please take care of yourself. We'll talk again soon.